When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. Man, the Browns are nine and three. So they got Baltimore a coming in the future. But right now, man, that was pretty good against Tennessee on Sunday. We're going to break down some of the things that worked against the Titans, and then will they continue to work for the Browns? Both sides of the ball. Scott in the second half is going to focus on the way the Browns stopped Derrick Henry and that Tennessee run game, which is quite a big thing. And I watched one whole play, so I will add one play of analysis to Scott's deep dive. But we're going to start off with Ellis Williams and Baker Mayfield in the play-action game. How sort of the, I I felt like almost like the best of Stefanski and Mayfield and everything merging together. So let's get right to it. We appreciate you guys joining us. Ellis Williams, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug, that's exactly what this was on Sunday. A perfect game plan in the first half from Kevin Stefanski, but also beautifully executed by Baker Mayfield. So let's just start with how Kevin Stefanski likely landed with this plan of attack. We all thought going into this game that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt would get theirs and that this would be a running game and then the, whoever, whatever quarterback played better would win. Well, we were right about the latter there. Whatever quarterback played better would win. But what we probably should have been more conscientious of was the fact that the Browns had an advantage throwing the football here, and that's exactly what Kevin Stefanski found. So everyone knows that the play-action passing game is – a backbone to this Browns offense, but Sunday's game tape should be shown at any play action passing clinic around the nation this spring or summer. It's not just because of how deadly and effective it was, but it was because of Stefanski's attention to detail, which then translates to the player's attention to detail, which we talked about at length on the postgame pod, the fakes, the simple motions, angle blocking, deceiving the defense with little moves that then cause a de- delay, a pause that open up the back end And then it was the variance in the play action throwing. It wasn't that every time Baker Mayfield threw the football in the first half, it was play action. It was the pace and the the variance in which Kevin Stefanski kept Tennessee guessing throughout the first half. So again, how did Kevin Stefanski arrive at this game plan? Well, here comes the powers of captain hindsight. The Titans defense hasn't done much overall this year, but they've played a lot of teams that just threw the ball a lot. The Bills, Texans, Steelers, Bengals, Bears don't really have an identity in the run game. So rather than attacking and trying a run defense that hadn't really been tried yet, Kevin Stefanski thought, you know what? Let's just keep throwing. Because why exploit a run defense that hasn't been tried when the best way to put a team away is through the air and getting big chunks of offense? According to ESPN's Bill, Bill Barnwell, coming into Sunday, Tennessee entered with the 31st worst opposing QBR against play action. The second stat you need to know in that combining their inability to stop play action was that they were second to last in sacking the quarterback. So Kevin Stefanski likely well aware of this data combines that with thorough film study. And I'm assuming he found little tendencies and an overall lack of discipline 
from several key Tennessee Titans defenders. I think Breon Borders here, number 39, who was fried on the out and up, um, fried on the uh, first Richard Higgins play and, and gave up then Siggins, or, and then the Higgins touch on the 17 yard score. There's other players in this, in that scheme too, but you know, Borders had a tough day. Some safeties coming down had a tough day and the linebackers overall had not have a, a sense of discipline there. And that's what Kevin Spence was able to exploit. So before I get into some of the, the play action plays that stood out to me, here's the, the data point you need to know about Baker Mayfield in the first half, his first half passing with play action, Baker Mayfield went nine for nine for 186 yards and three touchdowns. That's good for a decent 20 yards per completion. You know, that's all right, right? You know, 20 yards per completion. And I understand that that you can say that's inflated due to the 75-yard score. But know this, that Kevin Stefanski was dialing up kill shots with the play action, whether it came from 75 yards out with Donovan Peoples-Jones, one yard out with Kendall Lamb, or even two yards out with Jarvis Landry. Baker Mayfield quickly without play action, 11 for 16, 104 yards and one score. One more quick thing. Three of Baker's touchdowns, those play action ones, came with three yards or more of separation. His guides are wide open, and that's because of the scheme, design, and Kevin Stefanski identifying the lack of discipline inside Mike Rabel's defense and the little nuances that open these guys up. So first, before I I get into some of the the plays that stood out, you guys, when you hear Baker Mayfield 9 for 9, 186 yards, and three touchdowns using play action, is that what it felt like? It was a fast first half, a wild first half, but you got, is that exactly what it felt like? Or is that sound? Um, I mean, he was perfect. It was literally a perfect performance off play action pass. Scott, I mean, it, it felt like we've become so accustomed to them using play action that this was like the sort of like the culmination of like what they've been building to. But I mean, you could feel it happening while it was going on, Scott, right? That like, man, this is, they are on this. Oh yeah. And I mean, just, well, just receivers running wide open overall, I think was so noticeable. It's, I think I tweeted out, I forgot what a contested catch looked like. You know, the week before we saw Jarvis Landry and some other guys uh, catching balls in tight windows. That wasn't the case versus the Titans. They were just wide open and the play action was just working so well. That, that pass to Peoples-Jones, Baker just took like an extra step after he faked it to Kareem Hunt to just kind of sell it a little more, you know? Like I'm watching the running back run with the ball. No, really, I am. And then you know he turns and and throws it deep to Peoples Jones. It was and and you know the safety on the other side gets sucked in. Whether he thought Hunt had it or whether he thought it was going to turn to a screen, you know, um, it just worked. I mean that that play really was like the everything was perfect about that play because even if Peoples Jones doesn't get the ball, David Njoku is running wide open like across 20 yards down the field, and if if Mayfield throws it to him, he's got no one in front of him except one defender and people's Jones to, to block for him. So, I mean, that was in the off season, we're going to be looking at that play and talking about like, that's the epitome of this play action offense. It was, it worked to perfection. It was executed well. And Baker had multiple options. I know we've had the discussion. Everybody has the discussion. You don't have to run the ball effectively for play action to work. Play action works on its own. The one thing and then I tried to look up the numbers on this, and I think maybe the numbers don't show it as much. But I, I wanted to know if you guys felt this. There were times we are so accustomed to Baker doing play action, faking the handoff, and then coming out on the bootleg and running play action. There were times when then he was giving the ball just on a handoff, sort of on those things where then he comes, you know, 
he continues his action into the boot, but he doesn't have the ball anymore. That I, I could feel like, oh, I was almost surprised. That was just a straight handoff. But I almost was now anticipating, oh, I thought that was going to be play action because we now know what this offense looks like. And it just felt like that melding right now. I guess I get, you know, they didn't actually in the run game, they didn't average seven yards a carry or something. They didn't run wild, but it just felt like I am at the point. They do play action so much and so effectively, but they also do run the ball effectively. I think now defenses are at the point where when they run that action, you really don't know what it's going to be. And there's a chance that either of them will kill you. That if they are handing it to Chubb and he's just running, that's not that could be problems. Or if it actually is play action and a bootleg and here comes Baker, that could be problems. It just felt like as well, as much as we know this offense now, I it's like you know it so well, now you're tricked by it. You know what I mean? Like it's so established. I just it felt it just did Ellis. It just felt like this was the this was the capstone. This was all this work. And here it is, and the result is perfection. It's a first half of perfection, Ellis Williams. That's exactly what it was. And, Scott, I'm, before I get into some of these key players, I want your, your thoughts on this. By my count, of those nine play-action completions, only two were really the, the traditional boot lefts that we've seen Kevin Stefanski really rely on. Um, and that speaks to really how he was able to confuse the Titans' defense so much. He was changing the launch point of Baker Mayfield – throughout the play action play call. So think of the Donovan people's Jones throw. He, it, it is a, it's not really a boot. He gets a little bit outside the tackle box, but it's more about getting depth and changing the launch point to his right than it is a traditional boot for some sort of flood concept. Um, and then the, the two yard score to Jarvis Landry, is just a quick fake and he's staying in pocket. So Scott, did you notice that or, and where it was a complete use of the play action rather than just leaning on bootlegs? And we've seen that. Yeah, and I think we've seen that transition like midway through the season. You know, first half of the season, we saw a lot of those very long rollouts left and right. And then I think initially we looked at it as teams are starting to keep that edge defender out there. So he's got to stop. And I think the Browns kind of adjusted to that and just said, you know what, we're not always going to roll all the way out. And we've seen that more and more from Baker where he's it's like a fake boot. He kind of starts and just curls a little bit and he stops at the top so that even if whether the edge defenders out there or not, being disciplined, he's not even going to mess with that. He's stopping and, and giving himself a chance to get away, uh, get the pass off without, you know, being under pressure or having to scramble. I will say the designs can work so well sometimes. As you said, Scott, everybody's running wide open. Sometimes it looks like, well, anybody could do this then. It's like, it's just like, it's just a great design. You know, Scott could have played quarterback and done that. But is there something that a quarterback is good at play action? Like, is there something about you still got to make the throws and way to be talked about with Baker in previous weeks was he missed some throws. Is there something about Baker Mayfield that Kevin Stefanski really drew it up? But is, is he good at this type of thing? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this on Baker. It is becoming artful how talented he is with using the ball with play action on the Donovan Peoples-Jones score, for example. Um, I actually broke it down for our, our football insiders today for the Easter egg you they don't know where the football is uh, the, the the safety that comes out in the box number 31 and then their linebacker i believe 53 have no idea where the football is until baker completely flips his hips to open up because he's you know 0.8 seconds away from throwing a 75 yard touchdown from the, that whole two and a half three seconds before that the, the tennessee titans have no idea where the football is and that's both baker 
just being crafty and being good with the football, but also the education of Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt of teaching the run fake. I mean, I mean, I mean, Scott, are, like you said, are, have you, are there times when even as a viewer, we don't know where the football is, even though we have a good idea of what this offense is trying to do. Yeah. I, I don't think he's at Boomer Esiason level yet. I mean, like when I think of, of play action and hiding the ball, I think of Boomer Esiason, but he's getting there. And I know that a lot of people did comment on that this week about how much, how noticeable it was that, you know, he's really raised his level in, in, in pulling off the fake. Yeah. So not only is it the, the fakes, I want to emphasize this before I get into a few of the, the play action plays that stood out. It's Kevin Stefanski's variation of formations and personnel packages that also make this extremely confusing on the defense. So we can talk about Baker's fakes and the, the Browns tight ends and wide receivers about taking angle blocks on these play action passes to sell run and then have a two man route behind it, uh, getting behind second level defenders. But the way Stefanski deploys 11, 12, 13, even 23 mixed in with this play action is really what is confusing the defenses. So I just want to highlight as we go through this first half, both the difference in personnel packages and then the way he sprinkles in play action. So the Browns run their first play action play on just the third play of the game. Resolves action there. The Titans were in a cover two uh, shell. And the fake, along with the motion of Donovan Peoples-Jones, held Borders, the cornerback, on a tight run fit towards the line, and Higgins was able to get behind him. Okay, that's out of 11. Uh, That drive ends with DPGA drop, false start, 27-yard field goal. The next drive, 21 purse, is just a little slip screen to Nick Chubb. You fake the handoff to Chubb, and then you get a little guard center action to Nick Chubb, wide open 24-yard gain. Um, And then they don't use play action again on that that whole drive, and nine plays, they only use play action twice on a slip screen and then the Jarvis Landry two-yard score. And that's something I want to emphasize about the success of the play action here was it wasn't a reliance on the play action. It was Kevin Stefanski's mix-up, almost throwing change-ups and then fastballs. So again, first touchdown drive, only two play action calls out of nine plays. And then on their next touchdown drive that ends um, with, the, with the Kendall Lamb score, Baker Mayfield goes three for three for 21 yards without play action. Kevin Svansky mixed in a sprint out call on third and three attacking leverage there. And then on the got to have it play sets up Kendall lamb for the one yard score. Then the next time we have the DPJ 75 yard bomb play action. And then there's my last point here on the, on the um, fifth drive for the Browns, the Browns are in 11 purse and go, for the majority of the drive, they go eight plays, pick up two first downs. Baker hits Rashard Higgins on a 15-yard strike on that third and 12 on that deep in, and Baker picks up a third and three with his feet, all without using play action. They don't, they don't end up hitting, and that's a testament to Tennessee not having pressure and a lack of discipline, but the point is there's a difference between relying on play action and then mixing your punches to completely crush a defense. Then comes fancy tees up on the start of the fifth drive after barely using play action, the drive before that he now zigs when the Titans are expecting him to zag. He calls a play action boot to start his four minute offense. It's a 17 yard grab by Donovan Peoples Jones right around midfield on the next play. After that, that was 11 purse on the very next play, the Browns go into 13 purse and eventually move the ball down the field for um, a, a later score. So 
that was just a, a nut graph of how the Browns are mixing in 11, 13, 12, and not completely relying on play action, but using it to kill. That is when play action offense is at its best. And that's what this current offense of the Browns is functioning as. So I was very curious about the 13 personnel in this game, because one of the things that also stood out on the, the Donovan Peoples Jones touchdown is that was out of 13 personnel. He's the only receiver. They have three tight ends and they throw a 75 yard touchdown pass to him. The Browns have used 13 personnel more than any team in the league this year. They're using it 14% of the time. They're only one of three teams that uses it even more than 10% of the time. They used it 13% of the time against the Titans. They actually only completed two out of three passes that they threw out of that. I, I would have said, oh, probably <laughs> 14 of their completions came out of 13 personnel. But it's just the Peoples Jones touchdown sticks in your head. And what you're talking about with this variety of personnel packages and the right, Stefanski just has a lot of pitches. Yep. You know, that some people. You know, if you have a really good fastball, maybe you only need one other breaking pitch. But like Stefanski has quite an arsenal here, and that certainly works into it, right? That and it just is interesting. We know he loves tight ends, but how do you say this? It's like coming into the season, we would have said he loves tight ends, right? But actually, they haven't really thrown to the tight ends all that much. They're not going crazy throwing to the tight ends, but they have the constant threat of throwing to the tight ends. They have tight ends on the field. You can really see like they really are a team that needs three kind of pretty good tight ends to do what they want to do. Because if you're going to put three tight ends on the field, you want them to be threats and you can see it when they put Bryant and Joku and Hooper out there, they all can catch. Sometimes two guys will block and one will go out. Sometimes two will go out and one will block. Sometimes they'll all block and you throw it at Donovan Peoples-Jones or whatever. Well, no, they didn't all block. And Joku, as you said, Scott was open on that one too. So it made me think of just the way you're describing it, Ellis, that it's just the variety of types of throws out of the, out of the variety of types of formations. And we're just seeing it. Scott, man, we just, right. We're just really getting a sense of how you can't get a sense if you're a defense because they do so many things. Well, I mean, we're, we're almost the end of the season now. And, you know, he's, you've spent all these weeks kind of showing and trying to build your offense. And now I think you finally hit the point where things came together in this game, probably as, as, as well as they could have imagined, you know, remember before the season, we're wondering what is this offense going to look like? You know, we, we kind of had the Minnesota template. And so we thought, okay, well, that's what that looked like. So he's got all these tight ends. He got a fullback. So that's probably what this is going to look like. And, and it's just built and built. And, you know, we've talked about how the bootleg has kind of evolved in this team and, and him using all these different kinds of formations. And I'm really excited for this offseason, actually, to be able to go back and look at an offense that we know is going to be similar the coming season and really try to figure out where this goes from here. Because this isn't going to be exactly the same thing we see next year either. He's going to keep building on it. But unlike every other season since I've been on this beat, you know, it's new offensive coordinator, new coach. What's this offense going to look like now? It's like they're actually building something. And once the season is done, it doesn't stop building. They actually get to keep going. So they're at a point now where they have so much that they're comfortable doing. And, you know, that that's how you beat a good team like the Titans. You get to the point where you're comfortable doing all these things and what maybe didn't work uh, so well earlier in the season against the Steelers or it definitely didn't work in week one against the Ravens. Now you're good at it. Yeah, Scott, that's the word. It's comfortable. They can run anything they want to out of all these different personnel groupings and formations. And here's the thing. They're not running a lot of complicated stuff. 
These are crossing routes. These are out routes. These are quick hitting plays, but they all, it all looks different. And Kevin Spancy told us from the jump, that's what he wanted to do. And now we're seeing it to stay on this 13 point uh, for a second here. What is becoming so fascinating in that Tennessee game with 13 personnel is Kevin Stefanski would start with his three tight ends on one side on the line of scrimmage. And then he'd motion um, Harrison Bryant out wide as the, the number one wide receiver out. He'd put David Njoku in the slot and then he'd keep uh, Hooper, Austin Hooper on the line as a tight end. And this actually would have resulted in a touchdown. It was the Donovan people's Jones drop. So you have a three by two formation. Essentially you go from a heavy jumbo look, to a three-by-two set. Now you have to treat Bryant like a wide receiver out wide. You have to treat David Njoku like a slot receiver because they have hit that slot fade to Njoku. They have thrown that and had success with it. And then Austin Hooper is successful operating inside as a tight end. So the defense all shifts to the left, and now you've got two receivers to your right, Nick Chubb out wide, who they're not throwing to, but the point was to open up Donovan Peoples-Jones inside for that slant, and that's exactly what they did while the tight ends essentially were running Option by Hooper, slot fade by Ninjoku, and then a little hitch route by Car- or by Bryant. What I'm trying to say here is that we started this season, as Scott was saying, trying to figure out what this t- offense was going to look like, and we thought we figured it would be tight end centric. And now what I'm realizing is it's the tight ends are a focal point decoy. They are the focal point of this offense. You need them. You need them all over the formation. You need them to know everything that's going on, run pass, and everything in between. They're the focal point, but it's a focal point decoy. These guys aren't getting the football in high volumes, but everything they're doing is opening up passing lanes for Baker Mayfield and confusing defenses. And that's exactly what happened in Tennessee. This is, I think, just how football is supposed to work. But Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, said this sort of when he got the job, and it just stuck with me because, again, I, I'm a slow learner. But he said, it's, we want it to be complicated for the coaches, easy for the players. So if it's complicated, listen, Kevin's a fancy. We're doing this formation. We have all these different things we can do. But then once, all right, I'll take care of the, all right, we might be in 13 personnel and do this. We might be in 12 personnel and do that. But then once you do it, it's not complicated for you, right? Just do this thing and it'll be fine. And like that just makes, again, that's what good coaches do, but it just makes it total sense. Let us take the burden. We'll worry about complicated you just do this, and then you can see how that keeps defenses off balance. It keeps the defense off balance and the offense on balance because you're not making the players absorb the, hey, you have six different options on this route depending on three different reads you have to make, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly what's happening. And you can tell how fast the Browns are playing offensively. They know – Baker knows exactly where that football is going pre-snap the little stuff that they do these motions aren't just to confuse the defense they're also giving Baker Mayfield little bits and pieces of data on the on the Jarvis Landry touchdown not only does the motion then key man coverage for Baker it also gives Jarvis Landry a two-way go on that route when if he would have ran that route and stayed where he was he's not able to release outside and get back in but that motion gives him a two-way go puts the cornerback on an island not knowing which way Jarvis can go Baker uses his eyes to keep the safety on the right side towards a Higgins out route, which he was never in play for anyway, just to work back to Jarvis, who does a beautiful job getting his feet in. It's the little things that are opening up the Browns receivers. It is simplistic yet information gaining for the Browns offense and creates mass confusion for opposing defenses. So what's next, Ellis, where do they go from here? Yep. Yep. So 
some key takeaways that I want Browns fans to understand. And I know we just talked for a good 20 minutes there about a, a perfect first half and listeners going to, well, what about the second half? Look, weird game. These things happen. Uh, the Browns had a few drives of only, you know, three, four or five plays. It's just one of those strange situations. I think this is for certain though. This is what the Browns offense looks like firing on all cylinders, but there's a few really important things to keep in mind. When Baker Mayfield threw, there wasn't much in his way, meaning pressure. That's also true for the receivers. There was not much in this in their way. I already said three touchdowns with three yards of separation or more. Baker Mayfield uh, threw into a tight window on just 6% of his attempts versus the Titans. His season average of throwing into tight windows is 15.6. That's courtesy of next-gen stats. So that, that's the thing. This is, a, this is an apex performance, and now following it up against teams that apply pressure will be key because here's what's coming up. The Baltimore Ravens blitz more than anyone in football at 46%. And number two are those Pittsburgh Steelers who just lost last night to Washington. They blitz at about a 45% clip. So the pressure, the blitzes are coming, and that will be the next evolution of this offense. I want to get on here, out of here on this last note for this dive. I found this interesting stat. The Browns rank 30 in, 30 if in a stat known as variance through the first 12 weeks meaning there's only two other teams that have played more inconsistent than the Browns and say what you want to about that stat. But I think it tells us this, it explains a two point win in Jacksonville, a little inconsistency. It explains a three points, only three scoring only three points in the second half and eventually only winning by six on Sunday, despite leading it by 20 points eventually in the fourth quarter. But this is what's important to understand. This entire league is inconsistent. We saw it last night with Pittsburgh, Kansas City has lost to the Raiders. The, the Bills have been up and down despite how good they looked last night. And who knows what the Ravens are going to show us tonight against Dallas. Simply put, playoff football, which is clearly where the Browns are headed, is about preparation, attention to detail, and matchups. That's exactly what happened in Tennessee. And that's as long as Kevin Stefanski is the head coach of this Cleveland Browns football team, the Browns will have an advantage in preparation. They'll have a advantage in attention to detail and then the matchups fall where they may this was the biggest step forward in the Cleveland Browns season and it was centered around what we always knew was play action but it was in the way in which Stefanski called the play action and took advantage of the matchup this going forward will be key for a Ravens team that is now ready to blitz and that will be Kevin Stefanski's next evolution how does Baker Mayfield play against blitzes because it's polar opposite of what they got in Tennessee so I want to ask one more question before we get out of here. Uh, was he throwing it? Were they throwing against a zone a lot against Tennessee or how much zone coverage versus man coverage did we see on Sunday? Tennessee's known for running a lot of zone, a lot of matchup zone. They mix it up, but it, it was a lot of a, a soft zone. A lot of what we saw the Colts run in the first half. That, that was my thought. Scott, what did you see? You know, it's really hard to tell a lot of times what the secondary is going to look like when you're watching it on TV. But right. yeah, I mean, that's what I was anticipating from Tennessee and Baker picks apart that kind of stuff. Which is what we have seen, right? He has picked apart zones at times before. And this is what this is what people do. I mean, Josh Allen was picking apart the San Francisco zone on on Monday night. This is what good quarterbacks do. So again, right, if you face a team that maybe is going to run a little more man coverage and pressure you, that's when I think we talked about it in the post game, then maybe that's now you're look, waiting for receivers to win one-on-one matchups. Maybe that's when you miss Odell, right? And then that's the next level challenge, but that's that's the deal. It's a different challenge week to week. But Baker clearly, with great protection against a zone and with the play action opening things up, looked as comfortable as any quarterback could look. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's where his strengths lie, being protected, picking apart zone. And then also, it's just a confidence thing. I mean, he's rolling. You, you, that is just him rolling. The Rashard Higgins touchdown is him just rolling and being confident in ball placement. Again, 11 for 16 on non-play action throws. This wasn't just Kevin Stefanski protecting his quarterback. He let his quarterback go out there and win this team a football game on Sunday. All right. We'll see how they can carry that forward. Big one Monday night. We'll get into even more of specifically previewing Baltimore versus the Browns on the Friday. Got to watch the tape. But first, we have to talk about how this defense shut down one of the best running backs in the NFL. That's next. Scott Patsko on the Browns run defense on Got to Watch the Tape. Back on Got to Watch the Tape. Make sure you're listening to every Orange and Brown Talk podcast in this feed. The post game on Sunday. Mary Kay and Dan drop on uh, on Tuesday morning with a great breakdown. Ellis and Scott and Terry Pluto and everybody kind of works through there. Uh, that version of the podcast, and then got to watch the tape. We come to you every Tuesday and Friday. So we talked a lot last week, Scott, previewing the Titans game about the run game, both sides of the ball, and then the Browns really did at least not let Derrick Henry dominate this game. How did they do it? Dive in on got to watch the tape. Yeah, it was weird. That, that running back battle just never really materialized, although I think it was more by design for the Browns and less so by uh, on the Titans side. Derrick Henry, all the talk was about needing to get helmets on him and stop him. He had 15 carries for 60 yards at the end of this one, but more notably, he had seven carries for 15 yards in the first half. And I think if you paid attention to the defense, what you saw was an extra lineman along the Browns' defensive line. Usually it was Jordan Elliott who would uh, line up next to Sheldon Richardson or Larry Ogunjobi on the middle, but you ended up with, with a five-man defensive front. And we've seen this before from the Browns here and there. They used it in short yardage situations, um, you know, at the goal line. And we saw it against the Raiders when the Raiders just started to run wild on the Browns earlier this season and they couldn't stop it. Uh, we saw them go to the five-man front and Raiders still rushed for 209 yards. So as an in-game adjustment, it didn't work so great, but they had a week to prepare for the Titans and it came out a lot better this time. So other than Jordan Elliott, you also had Mac Wilson, often in the gap. So a lot of times you had six players along the line of scrimmage and you had one linebacker, which is usually BJ Goodson. Then you had your two cornerbacks and your two safeties. Carl Joseph was creeping into the box a lot. Uh, Miles Garrett said after the game, the whole idea was to close up all the gaps that might be there and then do their best to get outside and avoid uh, allowing Henry to get around for, for large gains. And, and again, that's, it worked, but it wasn't a case of them doing this, for the whole game. When you had that five on five matchup, the Browns were one on one and it was more often, or it was more likely that somebody was going to shed their block. The Titans couldn't really double team anybody. So you had Jordan Elliott and Sheldon Richardson who did it a couple of times, shedding their blocks and getting into the backfield and causing trouble, causing Henry to, to change his direction. Richardson did that on the forced fumble on the second drive. Uh, but basically the Browns used that five man front on the first three Titans possessions. They took a couple of plays off but they mostly stuck with it. And on those th- first three drives, Henry got three yards, seven yards, which is when he got to the outside once, two yards and no gain. That was fourth and one. On the next drive, he lost three yards and fumbled. And then on the third drive, he only had one carry. It was five yards. It was on first and 10. It was second play of the drive. So you add all that up on the first three possessions. He had six carries for 14 yards. Seven of them came on one play, no first downs and the one fumble. 
Uh, on the Titans' third possession, they trailed 17-0, but they started to figure things out, and they opened with a slant, which really took advantage of the fact that the Browns only had one linebacker covering that area. Uh, B.J. Goodson kind of went to the other side to follow Henry into the flat, and the Titans all of a sudden start moving the ball. Um, Mac Wilson was at the line of scrimmage on that, on that play, so again, there was just a ton of room. The Titans ran the ball on the next play, and really there was a missed opportunity on that play because Olivier Vernon was pushed out into coverage on Corey Davis, and they ended up running it the other direction. Tannehill either didn't notice or didn't have, couldn't change the call, whatever, but that was the missed opportunity. Vernon again was in coverage on the next play, which was the deep pass to A.J. Brown. Uh, in, I mean, Vernon was basically in a position where he was kind of driving back in zone, covering someone in the flat and then someone behind him, and, and you knew that if they passed to that side, Vernon is not going to close down and make that play. So I think the cracks started to show a little bit on that drive and using the five-man front. And, of course, the Titans scored. But we've talked about this before. The best defense for the Browns is their offense. They come back and get the Peoples-Jones touchdown. They go up 24-7. And then at that point, the game plan starts to change. The Browns came out in a normal defense, had three linebackers for the next series, and basically just played good defense. The Titans went three and out. Uh, they tried that end around to a wide receiver. Henry got no gain, and then there was an incompletion. MJ Stewart got his first pass break of the season on that drive. It was just, just well-executed defense. And then the Titans get the back, ball back again. They're down 31-7, to seven, and then they're in a full catch-up mode. And, you know, you don't have to use that five-man front anymore. You're in basically playing base defense or having extra uh, defensive backs on the field, and, you know, the clock is your friend now. So even though they used the five-man front and it got a lot of recognition, all it really took were those first two drives. You get that fourth down stop, you get that fumble, you get ahead by two scores, your offense keeps scoring, and now the Titans have to adjust. And the best way to stop a running game is to get a big lead, and that's what the Browns did. You know, they're leading 38-7 at halftime, and suddenly you don't have to worry about Derrick Henry anymore. He had five carries in the first quarter, and he only had 10 the rest of the game. I think that's exactly right. I mean, everybody, love, coaches love to talk about complimentary football, and this was as good of an example of it, Scott. I think you laid it out perfectly, that if they had come out in that five-man front and stopped the run, but it was 3 nothing, then it's like it's a stalemate, and then maybe like they keep running Henry, they figure it out the way we've seen the Browns figure out their run game over time. You know, it, it would have been a different game. But the defense held them early to give the chance, or if it would have been – you know, if the Browns were putting up 17 points early, but the, the defense couldn't stop anybody. And it was like, now you're just trading scores. I would have been like, oh my gosh, like Baker Mayfield's playing great. But man, it's tied. It was like the they both gave each other breathing room and you could really see how it worked. But I, the, the one thing, we've talked a lot about Joe Woods at various times here. He's dealing with sort of a short deck, a lot of injuries, how much credit Joe Woods that he did come out in this look, which other teams had used before Ellis, we given a nod to Joe Woods here for a game plan that like the defense held him down long enough for the offense to get a lead. It's absolutely it. And Scott, now that when he talked about the Browns winning their one-on-one -on -one matchups up front, I, I wrote about it before the, the game on um, Saturday that the combination of guys like Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, and then Jordan Elliott winning their one-on-one -on -one matchups would be the difference in combination with the Browns remaining enthusiastic to tackle Derrick Henry. When you create turnovers, when you're stuffing a monster like him early and your offense then parlays that into touchdowns, 
it's pretty easy to keep that enthusiasm going. So both credit Joe Woods for understanding the best way to create one-on-one matchups is to not give the Titans offensive line opportunities to create double teams. Credit Kevin Stefanski for understanding how his decisions as a play caller affect his defense. And then just credit the Browns defense as a whole for playing 11 hats to the football style of tackling and just being the enforcer on Sunday. That's where Joe Woods gets his credit in getting his guys ready and having a game plan that stuffed things early. Scott, I know you have some linebacker thoughts about how they played the run. I did look up one thing on Sheldon Richardson, but I don't want to, if you're digging in on Sheldon Richardson, I don't want to take it. But if you're not digging in on Sheldon Richardson, I have one thing to say about Sheldon Richardson. Go ahead. Okay. So Sheldon Richardson was by far the highest graded defensive tackle, non-edge rusher, right? Defensive lineman, the highest graded guy against the run in week 13 in the league. He is a 90.3 run defense grade. For the year, his previous games run defense grade, the week before against Jacksonville, he was a 60. Before that, a 52, a 43, a 60. He was a 90. He hadn't even been an 80 in in any game. Sheldon Richardson, his first two years in the league, when he was the defensive rookie of the year in 2013, and he was a pro bowler in 2014, he graded out as a 90 run defender in both those years. And right now, this year, like Cam Hayward for the season is like the best run defending defensive tackle in the league. He's like in the high 80s. So for one game, Sheldon Richardson was like, at least by PFF grades, was like old Sheldon Richardson, was like top-notch defensive tackle, game-changing Sheldon Richardson. And the fourth and one play, which is the one play I watched, you talked, Scott, about shedding blocks. Ellis, you talked about winning one-on-one matchups. They stopped Derrick Henry, the only Browns player who got a hand, who got a mitt, who got a fingernail on Derrick Henry on that play was Sheldon Richardson. He just shed the block of the left guard, got in the backfield, hit Derrick Henry, and he by himself stopped that play. And it was a momentum swinging play that everybody talked about right after the game. I don't know if Sheldon Richardson is going to be able to keep doing that, but him playing like a Pro Bowl level run stopping defensive tackle, man, again, we talked about guys showing up. What a day to do it. So. Congratulations to Sheldon Richardson. You get Doug's stamp of approval. <laughs> you know, now, I, let me go on to Donovan Peoples-Jones. What is wrong with that guy? I'm just kidding. I'll come around the, eventually. The five-man five front only accomplishes so much. You still need players to play at a high level at certain spots. And obviously, Richardson was one of them. Uh, you know, After the Titans scored, the Browns stopped them on three straight plays or th- three straight drives to end the half. And they did it uh, without using that extra lineman. So – where did the good play come from? I think Richardson obviously is, is, is on this list, but the guy who really stood out is Mac Wilson, who probably played the best game of his career on Sunday. Uh, he only played 29 snaps. They had BJ Goodson on the field uh, most of the game and they rotated Wilson, uh, Malcolm Smith, Sione Taki Taki. They all played in that 25 to 35 range, but those are probably the most quality 29 snaps Mac Wilson has had in the NFL. Definitely the best of this year. He had four tackles, uh, three defensive stops where the play ended up being a failure for the offense. It wasn't perfect for Wilson. He did give up three catches for 26 yards. 22 of them came, according to PFF. They kind of tagged him with this. The touchdown to Michael Pruitt, where uh, Wilson was kind of blocked out of the play by the, the the left tackle on the play. He was right at the line of scrimmage, got blocked out. Pruitt just runs free for the score. 
fine. That's, you know, a play where Wilson didn't perform very well, but he still graded at 70 or above for tackling against the run in coverage and overall defense. This first time in his career, he's done that. I mean, he's never really even come close to doing that before. Uh, He really showed off, I think, what you want out of Mac Wilson, his speed getting to the outside. There was a short route into the flat in the second quarter where Corey Davis kind of curled out and caught a three-yard pass, and Wilson, he almost got sucked into following the tight end down the field, but recognized what was going on, kind of diverted his attention outside and got there. Uh, Quickly, Davis caught the ball. There was no yards after catch. It was a three-yard play, and that's the kind of pursuit that the Browns haven't seen from their linebackers overall this season. Uh, Malcolm Smith also had his best Sunday, at least in coverage. He had 28 coverage snaps, graded at 91.8. The top three coverage players for the Browns on Sunday were all linebackers. Malcolm Smith was number one. Tay Davis was second. He only played five snaps, but he did have a few coverage snaps. And I mean, hey, do, do well when you're out there, right? And then, and then it was uh, Mac Wilson after that. DJ Goodson, he was his normal solid self as a tackler. He stopped Henry at the goal line on that two-point conversion. I mean, that was just one-on-one. You know, Henry had a good head of steam coming from the backfield, and, and Goodson met him and, and stopped him. Taki Taki, again, normal solid play as a runner, a run stopper and tackler. His best play, I think, was in the second quarter. Uh, Henry was stopped for no gain, largely because Taki Taki got into the backfield and met the fullback like three yards before the line of scrimmage, and that allowed everybody else to kind of swarm on Henry and drop him for no gain. So you had guys doing what they normally do well in Goodson and Taki Taki. And then you had Smith who again is on this team for a lot, you know, for his coverage ability playing above what he's been at this season. And then you got Mac Wilson playing, you know, the best season was career. If Mac Wilson can continue that level of play, it really changes things for this defense, especially when Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison get back. And does that make sense? Like the way all this, you're talking about the linebackers and, and some of the guys in the in the front seven. Listen, they did throw it then. They threw it. I mean, Tannehill's really efficient, and he can make plays, and they did some things. And we know there are some issues in the secondary, especially when Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison are hurt. But that the defensive line and what you're talking about with the linebackers, Scott, did that feel like out of the blue? Does it feel like repeatable? How, how did you – what does that linebacker play specifically mean to you in the big picture? That's the hard thing to figure out. We know what Malcolm Smith, we know Malcolm Smith is capable of being a good coverage linebacker. And we know what Taki Taki and Goodson do well, but the fact that Mac Wilson seemed to put everything kind of together in this game, we kind of have to wait and see if that's just a one game thing or not. Uh, they've really gone to a, a situation where they're rotating guys next to Goodson based on, you know, situation. I don't know if this game means they come out of that and they're like, okay, Mac Wilson showed us he can do this and, so we're going we're gonna to roll with him next to B.J. Goodson. I don't think you're at that point yet. But I think if you're Joe Woods, you have to be very surprised, well, pleasantly surprised that Mac Wilson could put together a game like that because he had struggled so much since he returned. And, and they've been putting him out there. He, he started consecutive games in a row. They were really giving him the opportunity to do that, and he finally did it against the Titans. So Scott's going to get into what, from this may and may not work against the Ravens on Monday, but a couple of these individual players, Ellis, whether it's Mac Wilson or Sheldon Richardson or Malcolm Smith or some of these guys, like, do, do you think, are we seeing some things that from an individual performance standpoint, a couple of guys played pretty well and they can keep it going or was it just maybe a good day and some good matchups for them? Combination of a little bit of both for, as for Sheldon, I think, 
when he is on, he's on, and you trust a veteran like that, especially a guy who's paid the way he's paid to bring it in those type of performances. You know, you can see a vet not getting up to play in Jacksonville necessarily, but an eight and three game against Tennessee. Yeah, I can see Sheldon flipping the switch there. Um, Mac Wilson, potentially, I, I saw him say something on Twitter about how he's feeling healthy. Uh, this could just be him trending towards a, a, a get right type of thing. And we could see his snap counts go up in uh, against Baltimore. Um, and I also think that it's important to say this, that these two teams we talked about leading up to this game are really carbon copies of each other. So perhaps we saw the Browns defense going up against an offense they were really familiar with, you know, all the training camp, this is what they're repping against during the week. This is what they're repping against. And they just were better against a wide zone type of scheme because they've seen it every day in practice. So I think it's a combination of all that, but definitely the performance of Mac Wilson, even Sony Taki Taki, the way Scott mentioned how he was filling those gaps, taking on full back, fullbacks. It is a sign that these guys know how to defend this type of scheme and it's one of the best running schemes in football. So it's better to be dominant and shut this type of stuff down and set, send that message throughout the league than, of course, having Derrick Henry come in and do what he normally does to defenses. Yeah, if Derrick Henry had run for 196 yards, we'd be sitting here saying, oh, my God, I can't have it. So, I mean, this was, this was quite a thing. But what does it mean for Baltimore? Right. I mean, it's first of all, it's hard to get our hands around Baltimore again because we're recording this Tuesday morning before the Ravens play on Tuesday night. Lamar Jackson didn't play last week. He's you know, he's back from the covid list now, but we also know what Baltimore wants to do. So is any of this applicable, Scott? Like is or is it just like, okay, well, congratulations on sort of limiting Derrick Henry. It, It none of it applies for what's next. Yeah, that's a question someone actually asked uh, Kevin Stefanski on Monday. You know, hey, you did so well against Derrick Henry. Can this work against the Ravens, who as we know are uh, a very prolific running team? And he basically said that, you know, that's not necessarily the case. And we like to show different wrinkles. Stefanski doesn't tell you anything, basically. He isn't going to say either way. The five-man front worked against the Titans, in part because the Browns knew they'd be okay without an extra cornerback or, or necessarily a third linebacker on the field. And Ellis threw out a lot of personnel groupings in the first half of this podcast, and I'm going to kind of do the same here. Just in case anybody's still fuzzy on this, like 11 personnel, the first number is the running back, second number is the tight end, which means you still got three wide receivers on the field. 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. So uh, in case anybody was was falling behind on that. The Titans use 11 personnel 41% of the time. The Vikings are the only team that use it less. They're at 31%. And like I said, the Browns know that. So with only two wide receivers on the field more often than not, the Browns could sacrifice a linebacker for a defensive lineman instead of a linebacker for a defensive back. You didn't see uh, Tavier Thomas and MJ Stewart needing to be on the field in, in uh, nickel situations as much. So the Titans used 12 personnel, which is two tight ends and two receivers, 29% of the time. Only two teams use it more. There are a couple other teams at 29%, but basically they're above the, the, yeah, the norm for that. Um, the Titans also use 21 and 13 at a higher rate than most. Again, those are formations that have fewer than three wide receivers on the field. So the Browns knew that the Titans run out of 12 personnel 56% of the time. And when they're in 21 and 13, they're running at 70% of the time. So again, you go into this game knowing that you can get away with an extra defensive lineman on the field. The Ravens are a different story. They do run a ton. They were third in rushing yards behind the Browns and Titans before Sunday. They've moved up to second. Um, after Sunday, uh, the Ravens use 11 personnel 52% of the time, which is still below the league average of 60, but it's still much higher than the Titans. 
last year the Ravens ran out of 11, 11, almost 50% of the time. That was like their thing. Um, they've gone down a little bit with that this year to about 42%. But again, they're running out of formations with three, three wide receivers a lot more than the Titans are. Um, so you're not likely to get away with having that fifth defensive lineman on the field and having fewer defensive backs. The Ravens are really diverse in their formations. They use 12, 21, 22, all like that 13 to 16% range. But unlike the Titans who run more when they have two tight ends in the field, the Ravens pass more often when they have two tight ends on the field. And the only time the Ravens are more likely to run it is when they have two running backs in the backfield. So again, uh, I don't think the Browns are going to get away with having five defensive linemen, unless it's like a goal line situation, which is, you know, before, before uh, Sunday and the Raiders game, that's usually when you saw it from the Browns. Um, and also just remember back to week one, <laughs> Lamar Jackson, 20 of 25 passing three touchdowns. It was his best game of the season. I mean, he completed 80% of his passes. Uh, he hasn't had performance like that since then. So that's in the back of your mind too. So I don't think you're going to see this, the same defense show up uh, next Monday when the Browns play the Ravens. It is hard because it's part of, I'm not, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson has not played as well as you said, Scott. So it's, it's like, okay, well, yeah, he did that, but how much is he still that guy with what they have going on? And it's just hard. I mean, I think to me, I was almost sort of joking. I almost going to tweet it during the game last week. And then I, so I believe it or not of all the dumb things I do tweet, I do sometimes pull back on them. I don't tweet every dumb thing that I think. But at some point last week, it was like they were stopping Derrick Henry so effectively. I was like, man, maybe they're being too effective in stopping Derrick Henry because now they're going to force the Titans to throw. And then the Titans are going to be like, oh, we can throw. Like Maybe like let Derrick Henry get a little bit more because the Titans didn't immediately figure it out. And then it's like they start doing Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown. It's like, OK, well, now this is a problem. So whatever the whatever the Ravens are going to do to the Browns on Monday, whatever the, the threat of the Titans were, I'd still I would have more confidence against the Browns defense against that. I mean, the thing that scares me most, right. Isn't, I mean, like it's like Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill. It's like, I don't know what they're going to do or Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams or Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. It's like, I don't, I don't exactly know what they're going to do with that. Right. And I don't even know who's the Ravens best receiver. Willie Sneed Marquise Brown's had this w crazy year where like he's get, he's mad. He doesn't get the ball. So I don't know. I'm very curious. It'll be a great test. It's a completely different test, but I just don't want, I just don't want Patrick Mahomes to throw for 900 yards on the Browns in the AFC championship game. Although it'd be the AFC championship game. So things would be okay. Do you think Ellis, do you think like the Browns can handle what the Ravens are going to give them on Monday night? Or do you think there's big problems ahead potentially for this defense? Of course, we're going to find out a lot tonight when they play. This has been a Ravens team that schedule has been all messed up. They ended up playing a Pittsburgh team really close using two backup quarterbacks. Uh, now we don't really know, you know, the Steelers losing to Washington. How good are the Steelers? Doug, you and I were kind of texting about this last night shortly. It's just so the, the, the getting a, a real nuanced grab on what this AFC playoff picture looks like is, is challenging. And after the strangest week in the NFL, you know, the Giants just beat the Seahawks and, you know, the Browns have to get ready for a Giants defense that now gave Russell Wilson fits. And that is where this is headed. It's becoming – so much more matchup specific than giant picture. So to bring it back to Baltimore, I'll say this Tennessee played Baltimore a couple weeks ago, Tennessee beat him in overtime. Lamar Jackson went 17 of 29 only threw for 186 yards through an interception long pass of only 31 yards, uh, 6.4 yards per attempt. If you're going to tell me that Baker Mayfield would have the MVP performance versus a Tennessee defense and Lamar would look like how some people thought Baker would, 
it's a complete role reversal. So I think the smart way to answer this question is we just don't know yet, but in a league that is about trends, clearly this Cleveland team is trending the right direction and Baltimore has a whole lot to figure out before Monday. Scott, regardless of the matchups and regardless of like how they're going to deploy certain things, how did the Titans game and how the Browns did come out and execute a game plan? We've been talking about this Browns defense all year. How did it affect your view of the Browns defense just in general of like, Hey, they had a plan and guys did their jobs and it helped them get a lead. Did you gain uh, any level of more confidence in this defense? I think if, if I'm, if I'm judging the defense, I'm coming away from that game feeling better about the linebackers because they did were able to step up across the board. I'm feeling better about Sheldon Richardson. I'm feeling better about the fact that they got takeaways from a team that does not give the ball away. Uh, I mean, prior to that game, they had three takeaways over the previous four games and they all came against the Eagles. So from that standpoint, I think you, you come out of that game confident that this defense is in a good place. And the fact that they won this game without Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison out there. So from that respect, yeah, I think you come out of this a little more confident and knowing that, you know, something Joe Woods and his staff came up with, it, it worked and it, it worked to, to, maybe not shut down a, a good offense, but at least stop it long enough to uh, give your own prolific offense a chance to get ahead. So I think if you're, if you're, if you're a defensive uh, player on this team, if you're a defensive coach, you, you got to be a little more confident after the Titans game. Yeah. This is one of the most opportunistic defenses in football. As Scott said, they forced a team that took care of the ball to turn it over. This is not a fluke anymore. This is what they do. Even one of the Titans touchdowns came on a play where the Browns forced a fumble. They, this defense, can play elite football in stretches for moments, for plays, for series. And in today's NFL, that's enough sometimes. That that really is enough right now. You be the best at moments, get after the football, and let your offense control the game. That's where the league's at, and that's what the Browns are doing right now too. And by the way, one of the guys that we talked about a lot last week, Terrence Mitchell made a couple plays in that game, and they got a bad break. Terrence Mitchell made a great play at the goal line to strip a ball out and the Titans recovered it and scored on a play where if that ball bounces a different way and they, they prevent the Titans from scoring there and the Browns recover, we'd be going crazy about that. But again, it's like, it is one of those things with this defense. You don't have to be perfect every play, but take advantage when you have a moment to do something. And it's, it, it's been working. It really has been working. But I felt good about our teammates breakdown. I was like, Hey, he showed up a couple times on Sunday. Andrew Sandejo should have had a interception. Andrew Sandejo. Uh, but, you know, you got the helmet hit there and uh, it negates it. So, yeah, I mean, look, the secondary didn't play great, and we probably weren't really expecting them to play great against this, this Titans offense. But I felt like the Titans kind of did the opposite of what the Eagles did. The Eagles didn't realize that they could run on the Browns, and they wanted to keep passing, and it didn't work out for them. The Titans wanted to run on the Browns early, and it didn't work out for them when they really should have come out and been passing against the Browns because that was the – that was really the way to beat the Browns. All right. It's Ohio state, Michigan week. So I got to go talk to uh, these Buckeyes about the Wolverines. If this game gets played. So we'll save our extra thoughts for the Friday podcast, two great dives on the nine and three Browns. Very curious to see how the Ravens will look on Tuesday night. Um, But it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one on Monday night. So Ellis and Scott, as always, thanks for your work. You guys, thanks so much for listening and making got to watch the tape 
part of your week. For now, on behalf of Ellison Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.